Welcome listeners, followers to another edition of a incredible, I say it every time, but this one is just incredible, Florida Keys Weekly Podcast and Show. Uh, I'm Britt Myers, your host again, and we're going to have some fun today. Not only do we have an incredible guest, but he's sitting right across from me in person, in-house, in the Key West studio, so to speak. So you might hear some jet noise that we love flying over from our our local Navy here uh, as we talk today, but that's just part of the fun. Uh, Today's show, to get this out of the way, is Britt. Brought to you by Overseas Media Group. Well, we love those guys. They're the ones that bring all the great digital websites and digital support to local businesses and abroad here in Key West, Florida. That's OMG, Overseas Media Group. And you can uh, listen to the show for you early risers on radio at WKWF AM 1600 and FM 103.3. That's you radio listeners. And for the rest of you, you can get this show and all of the uh, archives uh, for some fun shows on keysweekly.com. That's www.keysweekly.com. And of course, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, all those fun places you and your kids go uh, for uh, for digital stuff. So it's all there. Uh, the Florida Keys Weekly Show and Podcast. Now, let's move on to why this is going to be a great show. When I say this gentleman's name who is looking at me, you're going to know him for for some reason or another. Most of you, if you're a casual sports fan like myself or a sports fan, you know him from his 76ers days. Um, it is none other than Pat Croce. And when I say his name, probably a couple probably evokes a few things that you know about Pat uh, over his amazing career in life. Um, he was the pro sports second owner of the 76ers for quite some time, from 96 to 2001. Um, he began in physical therapy. Therapy, director of Sports Medicine in the Clinic of uh, Haverford Community Hospital. He's also a black belt in Taekwondo. always find that uh, incredible. And uh, he's smiling at me now. He was a commentator for that in the 2016 Olympics. He founded the Sports Physical Therapist uh, in 1984. He grew that into 40 centers over 11 states. Sold that for uh, a good amount of money. It's all listed on the internet, whatever's true or not. But what he did with that career and what he did with that is even more amazing. That's what we'll talk about today. Uh, a lot of his clients included Mike Schmidt. Dr. J, Julius Irvin, Charles Barkley, on and on and on. your bio, Pat, in your intro is going to be your story today because there's so many amazing things I want to tap into. We've only got you for about 45 minutes. You are a man of energy. I know you spoke down here about 20 years ago, 15, to the chambers and stuff. I remember hearing you speak, and I walked out of that room, and I thought, man, I grew up in churches. I grew up around spirituality. I've seen uh, self-help gurus. I've seen all this stuff, and the chill bumps, the goosebumps on my body, and the motivation that you brought was so sincere and so real. I'd never seen anyone like it. I don't know where it comes from. We're going to talk about that today. I don't know why you keep doing it. We'll talk about that today. But Pat Croce, we are excited to have you on the Florida Keys Weekly Podcast. Thank you for being here. Wow, wow, wow. I hope I don't let you down, Britt. Thank you. <laughs> it's great to be here and I love your digs. Oh, man. Well, what, I want to give Annie Brining right here beside us a shout out. She's the reason you're here. She's one of your Philly native sisters I up love there. Annie. Oh, yeah. So she's over here gleaming. And we've got, she's blushing right now. We just told a story. I want to I get two stories out of the way because I know our listeners want to hear about some seven or stuff, some of your sports pro career, some other things about your pirate, uh, your enthusiasm and your, your story and when it comes to pirates and some things you've funded and things you've done over the years. But to get started, you took an Uber here today, which I thought, you know, here's Pat Croce, this guy with means pretty much to anything. He's a, I thought if he does anything, he might jog knowing Pat Croce. But you took an Uber here today. You're a key, you've been a Key West fixture for many years. And I will say, as I stop talking here soon enough and get Pat talking, many people move to Key West. Many celebrities come through QS. Pat, and, and it's not that any celebrity does anything wrong or bad, but many of them come here as a part-time home, come and go, that kind of thing. Pat Croce came down here and decided to invest in restaurants, decided to invest in people, decided to invest in a culture and a community, and has continued to do that. He's very much you know, a, a celebrity, but so many people know him by name. I know people who work out with you and the motivation, accountability you give. The stories are endless. I happen to see uh, Coach Dick Vermeil, Hall of Fame Coach Dick Vermeil, in Publix three days ago. And of course, I bugged Coach Vermeil in the deli line. I said, hey, Coach. And he was as personable and cool as always and came back and told Annie about it. She says, I just saw Pat with a picture with Coach Vermeil. We should get him on the podcast. And I said, Annie, we won't get Pat Croce on the podcast. And she said, you just watch me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you Uber today. So tell me a little story. There's something about you had a car towed a while back and then you started Ubering down here. Tell me a little bit about why you Ubered to the show today. Well, first of all, Annie sent a car 
for me. <laughs> and so this fellow, I asked him how long he's been in the country, how long he's been in Key West, and where he come from. He came from Haiti. I said, I visited Haiti. I said, and we used to have businesses in here where we, where we still do, but we had a, a great country of Haitians working for us at the rum barrel and they pass he goes I worked at the rum barrel in his with this wonderful accent for I said for how long he said two years and we we're reminiscing over people I said well then I'm gonna go meet Annie who hired you she we met at the rum barrel and I said uh and so I said, are you married? He said, yes. I said, any children? He said, he had a five-year-old. I said, okay. And so I left him, gave him just some remembrance of something from his days working for me at the rum barrel. And, you know, just saw this big, gorgeous, beautiful smile that really unites us all together, right? That smile is that unification of we're all one. And that, that's how I walked in. And then I see your smile and Annie's smile and Mandy's smile and everyone's smile here. Well, you, you make smiles and, uh, and I feel like Key West is sort of, you know, serendipitous, the energy, whatever you want to call it in this life. Key West has something where we all kind of, there is a lot of connections here that you just would never imagine we would run cross paths with each other and things come in and come and go. I think Key West... I think that's true in life, but Key West really seems to have a knack for that, a melting pot for that. And uh, stories like that are always really cool. I got to tell you, Britt, if I might interrupt. Absolutely. One of the greatest honors I got was an honorary conch award. All right. So I am a Bubba. You are an honorary conch. You're a Bubba. You're almost a cuzzy. You really do. You really <laughs> uh, no, real quick. So you Ubered here because your car was towed some t- well back. Yeah, it was you, just you towed said, last week. You said, screw it. We're going to Uber from now on. My to- car was towed from where? I was parking and I said, I went and got it, went over here to Stock Island, uh-huh. made $546, uh, whatever it was. And I gave the little kid who's doing his homework behind the window, I gave him a tip. Because yeah. he, I mean, here's a kid who have to work for his mother who's hanging out at the tow lot. And so I'm thinking, oh, and then I had to bring the car. I said, forget that. I don't need a car down here. I got a bicycle and I can, <laughs> can do whatever I need. And it's my old bike, Britt. I keep it at the Green Pirates. So every year when I come, it comes down, it gets fine-tuned, and I'm on my red bike. Well, that's a beautiful segue. Uh, we're going to talk about the 76ers, your, your physical therapy, and, and, the, and the, tran- you know, the transformation of, uh, of your life, at least to the public as we've seen it, to who you are and what you've supported. But... Look, can we start with Key West? Why, what brought you to Key West? I know you're a pirate enthusiast, historian. It was Jimmy Buffett. It was Jimmy it's Buffett. It's that simple. Okay. It was Jimmy Buffett. It was 1990, and I was going to take my son, Michael. I'd already taken my daughter to L.A. I was doing a video, fitness video for grade schools, and I had Disney involved. And so Sport Goofy was my cohort. Really, to use Sport Goofy is really powerful. And it was a video that was going all the grade schools, 10 at 10, 10 minutes of exercise exercise at 10 o'clock every day because they were eliminating phys ed in schools. And to me, that was a mortal sin. Well, I took, I took Kelly there and she was 10. Michael was eight and we were going to go skiing. I never skied in my life. I never had any money to ski. And once I start making money, it was flyers and sixer season. I was the physical conditioning coach. So I never had a winter. So it's president's weekend. 30 years ago, 30 some years ago. And I said, Mike, we're going skiing. It's raining in Pennsylvania. It's raining on this snow, supposedly cold February day. I said, well, how about we go to Key West instead? And my buddy, Joe Masters, who had turned me on to Buffett. We were roommates in college for a little while till I got tossed. But nevertheless, that's a different story. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And we came down and we went looking for Jimmy Buffett. How naive is that? This is 1990, 91. And we go to Margaritaville, and he's in there eating. You gotta be kidding me. No, serendipity. It was serendipity. We went back, and Joe goes, No, you can't bother. I said, What the? Are you kidding me? We come all this way. We could. No. I go to his table. He goes, When I leave, I'll, I'll stop by your table and walk out. He finished eating. He bangs me on the shoulder. We walk out. We get a picture with him, and it was—it's still on a keychain. We have Joe, my son Michael, and myself, and and Jimmy. Well, now let's fast forward to 1996, and I'm running the Philadelphia 76ers, and Jimmy Buffett comes to Philadelphia, plays at the Man or whatever the amphitheater was. I get a jersey made for him with a number one with Buffett with the double T's on the back, spelled correctly. And obviously, I have all the connections in Philly. We go go backstage to the green room, and I present Jimmy with the, the shirt. 
And he says, well, you come back after the show. During Encore, he comes out with it on. Oh, wow. He comes in. Now, again, the team was awful. I inherited it. I bought into Comcast was my majority In 96, partner. but you changed that. Oh, so. yeah. We were. We had only won. That team I took over had only won 18 games out of an 82-game schedule. I mean, awful. Yeah. They maybe had, at the most, 3,000 people in the in the stadium. People said, Pat, what are you doing? Even when Dr. J in his heyday in 83, 84, when they won it, never sold out. I said, watch me. Yeah. And so that five years from worst to first in the finals against Shaq and Kobe, I hate that Shaq. He's still wearing my Got a ring. lot of calls. Got a lot of offensive. You got, you got away with a lot of offensive, <laughs> offensive fouls against you guys. Just I'll imagine him and Kobe together in addition to those surrounding stars. But that was a but wonderful finals you all the way. Them. Well, that was, we were all on Allen Iverson's back there. I'm a Dell Davis guy, just so you know. Oh, but, uh, wow. My great, mom's from Dakota, Georgia. Noah's played ball with, against his brother, some of the boys club there. Yeah, just a great How good fan. was he? Really good. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Shout out to Dell's brother while we're talking. Wow. But, uh, so, so you're up there. He comes out in the number one. Did you did you remind him, like, hey, you, you remember patting me on the back back in 19, you know, six no, years ago? No, I didn't. I, no? I didn't. I, and we became friends after that. Right. So every time he came to Philadelphia. But I wanted him to sing the national anthem. I wanted him to come out barefoot and, and sing sing the national could never got him to do that however because it, i was creating a revolution not only with a new team and a new leader in Allen Iverson, but a new attitude. You know, we weren't the old 76ers. No, we weren't going to be satisfied. We were going to inculcate ourselves in the community and eventually the community would then follow the Sixers. So Jimmy wearing that jersey in the summer of 96 when i hadn't taken over yet Comcast and myself, we bought the team in April, I think it was 16, and then uh, April 16th, 1996, but now season's over because Sixers don't make the playoffs. They don't even, they're not even in the newspaper. So I was going to take over, obviously, in October, but it got everyone thinking, like, what's happening here? And everyone knew me in Philadelphia from being a physical condition coach for the Flyers and the Sixers, mm -hmm. not as someone in a suit. How do you convince it, them of that? How do you how do you go? And I was going to ask you how do you and I want you to stay kind of on this path of the Sixers because all these stories, you know, I'm sure you and Buffett had some incredible pirate conversations. <laughs> uh, I want to talk to you about that. But how do you go from a guy, Pat, you, a guy like you, who's self-made, energy, uh, the 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 amount of time and, and love that you put into other people, who who develops that in you, installs that in you? leading up to being, a, you know, we know you, your story for a lot of us starts as guy who had this huge sports therapy, uh, empire turned into suddenly now you're running the 76 years, you're turning them into a winning team. What's a little bit before that, who installs that in you to be this guy that, that never stops, that has this, this drive to, Hey, watch me win, watch me succeed, watch me develop a culture and bring people up. Where does that come from? Britt, that's a good question. I'd have to say my PMA comes from my DNA on my mother's side. I say I'm a volatile mix of Gaelic and garlic, Irish and Italian. <laughs> the old man was Italian and tough. He died at an early age, and so he never got to see the Sixers run, and he was an avid sports fan. He died in 93 at the age of 64, and, uh, but he was tough. My dad was tough, but gave me the discipline and organization, the skills, and the people skills. He didn't have much... We didn't have much, but what we had was the best that we could have. You committed to detail. I had a vacuum every day. We didn't have a big house, but that rug never had lint <laughs> on it or else I was going to wear it painfully because the old man, tough love. But my mother was all about reading and creativity and you can do it, Patty. You can do it. You can do it. And when I applied for physical therapy school... Well, she was the one. I had played ball, football in college at Westchester University just as a freshman, but I realized I wasn't big enough, strong enough, fast enough. So if I couldn't be a Philadelphia Eagle, well, maybe I could be the physical therapist for the Eagle. And okay. I started volunteering at a hospital recommended by my mother. And from there, I went to University of Pittsburgh in a physical therapy degree, got a secondary certification in athletic training. And from there, my first day, my first, I, once, I didn't even go to graduation. Funny story. I just yesterday got invited to speak at commencement at Pitt and be honored with a doctorate in rehabilitation science and body, mind, 
spirit health just yesterday that's amazing so here i didn't even go to mine i don't think they know that <laughs> are you gonna, I, are you gonna tell them that no, I, I don't know i don't know <laughs> but i wanted to work i didn't have any money i went to work i got a job so i wanted to work at for like 11 grand 11 90 a year but it was wonderful but that was not the job i wanted six when eagle season opened i went down to season their camp at Weiner University. I knocked on that door and I wanted to apply. I had my white jacket on. I thought I looked cool. I wanted to apply for the physical therapy job. Big old trainer from Texas. What do you want, son? I was chewing. I said, I want to apply for the physical therapy you just, job. You just walked over. Did you have an appointment? I didn't have an appointment. Didn't know anything. Britt, I knew nothing. He goes, nope, we don't need any. And slammed the door on me. I'm truly, I see the door. I hear the sound to this day. What the? No. I knock on the door again. Big old guy's three steps up too. So he's looking down at me literally and physically. He opens the door. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. He said, I said, we don't need. I said, well, do you have a physical therapist on staff? He says, no. I said, that's the job. That is the job I want. I'll volunteer. You don't even have to pay me. Nope. Well, to this day, and Dick Vermeer will tell you, Dick takes credit for being my mentor and my (laughs) success secret because if he gave me that job, then I wouldn't have owned the team and done everything else. I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. So we have have weaved Dick Vermeer into this perfectly, (laughs) and I love that story. Um, When you see coaches like Coach Vermeer, I'm kind of jumping here, but Coach Vermeer, we have Pat Croce here on the Florida Keys Weekly Show and Podcast, in case you haven't figured this out, uh, sitting right here with us. Uh, When you see guys like Dick Vermeer or Bill Belichick, who just retired, or uh, Nick Saban, who just retired, do you see similarities in these great coaches that that go beyond sports as leaders, as culture builders? Maybe some, and I might be fishing here, but similar to how you built the Sixers, what what are some of the similar foundations when you really want to change a business or a culture? I know you've talked about this in books and different things, but what's some of the, the main things that you see when people like that? I mean, when I saw Coach Vermeil at Publix, for example, it was more than just seeing a ball coach. Mm-hmm. Was, there was an energy with a guy. Like, he's smiling. He's he's happy in the deli line. Like, it's just different. What makes men like you and these guys different? He collapses the me into a we. When you were in that deli line with him, there wasn't a Brit and Dick. There was just... Oh. It was just this, as you say, high vibrational frequency. You felt it. You exchanged it. You didn't see him just wave you away. Right. As a leader, Dick Vermeil, Belichick, they make sure they surround themselves with the best and they listen attentively. One, though, they listen to those who will give them advice based on their intention. They have the joyful a passionate desire that they can communicate that intention with everyone so you're on the same wavelength with them. And then they'll listen. Then they will listen. These leaders will listen. But if they don't communicate that message, then there's a gray area. No, all the great leaders work in black or white. Right. You know exactly what they want. You know exactly what you agree to do, and you will be held accountable. Yeah. So, so roll that into the 76ers. How did you apply that from a worst place team, a couple thousand people a night coming in there in Philly in a sports town who's fun, I mean, we know Philly, uh, probably the most fanatical, passionate sports city in the, in the nation, in the world. And here you have a losing team. You got, was it pressure on your shoulders? Did you have a plan coming in? What, what transpired to get you aside from Allison, Allen Iverson, who you believed in I mean, the documentary and Showtime's great and you're on there. What transpired to turn, what, what plan did you apply? lessons as you already have and what how did you go in and turn that team around first I was inheriting a very poor team with poor leadership and so you'll love this I really haven't ever said this I took every employee and I had them sit like you and I Britt are sitting directly across and I gave them a pen I'm already nervous I said (laughs) now imagine you're sitting in my shoes you're the new CEO coming in what changes would you make? People would say who they'd get rid of, what they would do, like that. It was mostly about some wouldn't say anything. Some would just talk egoically about what they could do. Mm-hmm. And that tells you something right away. I got rid of mostly everyone. And then those who, though I felt 
were passionate about their job, even if I didn't keep them in the same position, I love their passion for the team and their belief that the team could be a success. Because if you don't have that internal desire or belief in your own capabilities, or if you doubt, here comes this physical therapist who now thinks he could be an owner. And there was that doubt. That's fine. That's fine. One person I did hire who had just come on was Laura Price. And Laura now is the COO of all of Josh Harris's Sixers, Commodores in the NFL, Devils in the uh, NHL. She is a star. So like she was like she was my VP of communications at the time and worked in marketing and game preparation. Now she is probably the most powerful female voice in pro sports and I love seeing her. That's amazing. Love seeing what, what her. What did you see in her? What made you, here's this woman who's who's a badass now uh, and, and you saw something early on. What did you see in her? It was the way she communicated like Dick Vermeil did to you in the deli line. Eyeball to eyeball. What changes she saw could be made that were other teams were making that the Sixers weren't. She was voicing her passion to me in how she could make a difference and she did. And that I didn't want my pebble dropping in the pond, just causing one ripple. I wanted a lot of pebbles turning that pond into a tsunami of energy and positivity. And that's why we called it a revolution that first year. Pat Croce with a revolution. However, the press then would say, well, the revolution, he shot himself in the foot because we only won uh, like four more games. It was an improvement like Kaizen is a one word Japanese philosophy that means continuous improvement. So every day, every way, in every department, we gotta get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're just getting worse. You can't stay the same. Because everyone else around you, the other competition is getting better. And that's something in pro sports. You know all the other owners, you know all the other executives, and yes, there is a camaraderie, but they want to kick your ass. Right. They really don't want you doing better. Do they want to steal your best players? Do they respect you early on, or did you feel a little disappointed? I mean, you're a guy coming oh, in. Okay, because right. I want to talk you about can, that. What, what was that like? That was, I see, again, I was before Mark Cuban, so they okay. wanted, they're thinking, who is this high energy? I mean, I went to the first board of governors meeting, and they said, you'll lose that smile within a year. Yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, there's a powerful people. People. You know, there's the owner of the Lakers and the owner of the Suns and the owner of these owners that have been there since the inception of the NBA. But it was wonderful, slowly but surely. You know, they just saw our ship rise and rise and, you know, wins and more wins. And then one of my biggest fans was David Stern yeah. and Adam Silver. These people were, they, they loved my energy and they loved what was happening in Philadelphia that the fandom was coming back. Mm-hmm. We weren't that good but the show we put on Brett the show we put on the floor I could control that I could control a brand new dance team I brought the choreographer down from New York who did the uh, who did the next girls but I didn't want cheerleaders no. I wanted a dance team that came out three four times a, a game and then you want it more the, the show was off the charts and I believe that one time this show would be secondary right now it's primary yeah. however you know how we made it Let me tell you how the team got so successful. Yes, with the number one pick when I won the lottery in 96, we picked Allen Iverson. That was the beginning. But it was mandatory and my priority that every player pick a charity. Okay. Every player had to do community service. Now, in the NBA collective agreement, they only have to make three appearances. However... For Pat Croce, come on, we're going to Moss Rehab. Come on, we're going to Children's Hospital. Come on, guys, we're going to the orphanage. Come on, guys, we're going to Liga Bravada. Liga, Liga Bravada, that's a cigar. No, Liga, the Liga <laughs> de Barrio up in North Philly. We're out of Puerto Rican basketball. And these players, once they invested their energy and their passion in the communities, yeah. the communities, why wouldn't they come back? So what we really did is we sprinkled gasoline all over the tri-state area. And then when we start winning and Allen Iverson, old Bubba Chuck, lit that match, it just ignited into just pure pandemonium. Yeah. Did you feel like it changed the, I mean, I'm, I'm a 
minute small time college basketball player. I was in sports. Who'd you play yeah, for? I was at Georgia State University. Wow. Uh, what Le- position? Lefty Drizel just came, uh, just passed away. So give him a shout out. He came in and got rid of me. So uh, I left, went to Montana. But I was a two, I was a shooting guard most of my career. Right on. So, yeah, I was, uh, but uh, but that said, you know, thinking about it as a player, to even up to the level. And by the way, I watched Iverson play in person at the Georgia Dome NCAA tournament against Marcus Camby, and I remember watching this kid, and I thought I've never seen an athlete like that man right there in person at, at Georgetown. Uh, so just that alone is incredible that you had the foresight to take take him and do what you did. And oh, uh, listen, I listened to the smart people. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. I listened to the ones who who did know. Well, you, you, you did it. And um, do you feel like those players getting involved in the community, did, did it change the way they played? Did it change the way they looked at the crowd or the way they thought about Philadelphia? Because most of them are not from there. And now they're in the city playing for them. They're out there. Did any of them ever come to you and say, hey, this makes a difference? Or, or what kind of feedback? That's two questions. Okay. Britt, if it enhanced their play, I don't know. If it made a difference, I do know. Yeah. That's a big because these players felt the love of the stadium. They felt the love of the arena. They felt the love of the, even when we lost, you know, even those beginning years. However, when the tide turned my third year in 99 and we made it to the playoffs, it was the first time for eight years for the Sixers, but the third year of my, my round reign. And that was just like off the chart, like off, like sold out, like I was shaving heads and like for free tickets to get in. Like it was just amazing. Well, so I'll ask you this because people listening and say, hey, you had Pat Croce and I've got, you know, about 15 more minutes with you. I could talk basketball and 76ers with you the entire show. I'm not going to do that. But uh, for those listeners, and I know he's really relevant today, uh, my assistant coach in college, Coach Gerald White, he said the greatest, the, the hardest worker he ever saw. He played at Auburn University with Chuck Person and Charles, Charles Barkley. He said mm-hmm. the greatest, hardest worker, greatest player he'd ever been around his whole life uh, was Charles Barkley before practice, after practice. Do you have a, do you have a Charles Barkley's story. I know. This I would one. disagree with that. Okay, I'd love to hear that. Okay. No, no. On the court, maybe the hardest work. Okay. Off the court, that. <laughs> I wanted to kick his fat butt. I'm the one that got him down from the round mound of rebound from 300 down to 250. I would intercept pizzas delivered to his house. <laughs> I mean, he would not, he didn't really enjoy doing anything but playing basketball. Yeah. However, he's playing for the Phoenix Suns and they're in the finals against Jordan. Right. And I go there, I go to the game. I'm still running, I'm running the Sixers now. And he's, and he looks unbelievable. He got the MVP that year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they lost. Uh, but he said to me, Pat, I should have paid more attention to you earlier. He said that to you? Totally, totally. You know, I was redeemed because I was all over him and he didn't really enjoy my company because I knew. You're pushing him. He's unbelievable on the court. And he's got 50 pounds extra or 25 pounds. However, he was just so gregarious that the fandom, to this day, he'll spend so much time on the street. And like I got to see him a couple years ago for dinner, just a private day. He's... He'll hold court at dinner for two hours straight. He's so much fun. He's just, he's so loving, passionate, but he loved the game. Yeah. However, like when it came to off court, (laughs) no, no. I love it. Uh, No, why why can't he fix his golf game? Everybody asked that. What's that about? That's funny. Um, So like I said, I could talk 76ers. I had other questions. By the way. Go ahead. At six foot Four, maybe five at the most. I think it was in 88 or 89, rebounding champion of the league. Oh. He got, he won the most, re, I think the most rebounds, average rebounds, like 14 rebounds a game. That tells your listeners something that don't think your limitations in size, intellect, will subdue anything you're shooting for, your dreams. It goes back to me knocking on that Sixers doors. You get rejections all the time. It's how you envision and interpret those rejections as the universe is unfolding before me, for me, not against me. I love it. well, that's our 76ers. We'll get you on another day, and I'll just bug you with basketball stuff sometimes. I, I could, I'm just indulged. I love it. But uh, we're Pat Croce here, Florida Keys Weekly Podcast and Show. Um, but let me stop right there. So there's one other thing. Please that, do. When you talk please about the do. I, I, I feel like I'm being rude talking about it no, too much. No, please no, no, do. because you're talking like teamwork. 
Allen Iverson was so good, not only because of the coaching, yes, because of the passion and talent, but there was a player born and bred, even went to Temple in Philadelphia, Aaron McKee. Yep. That year in 2001, he got six-man player of the year. Uh, he was who I would go to when Bubba Chuck, when AI was really sometimes in conflict with the coach. And I could get to him at most part times because he knew I loved him. As a matter of fact, in his induction speech at the Hall of Fame, he said, when I think of love, I think of Pat Croce. What a compliment. Oh, wow. That's it. Forget about it. However, I would go to Aaron. I'd go to his mom, Ann, but I'd go to Aaron in the locker room because Aaron had the street smarts that AI respected. And it was one brother helping another brother. So where I couldn't communicate on the same level, I had those resources. And back to teamwork and back to other people really caring and sharing the same mission so that they could share the same trophy. That was, I'd have to give Aaron McKee the kudos. From. Oh, and let's go back further. One thing that changed Barkley during my reign as a physical therapist for the team was Rick Mahorn. Oh, Rick wow. Mahorn came from Detroit. Oh, yeah. And he, Barkley saw him working out and saw his tough demeanor and how he didn't take any squat off anyone else. I'm watching my curse words here. You can curse. And, and Charles did the same thing. He helped Charles create the Charles Barkley that you saw on the court in, this, in his future reign. That's amazing. That's really cool. I haven't heard McKee's name in quite some time. That's really, and he That's was where he, people help people, right? Yeah. People care about others and it just with his actions too. watching yep. him, watching what he does. That's yep. pretty incredible. Yeah. Especially not talking. Yeah. People will watch what you pop. People care what you think, but not as much as care what you say, but they really care what you do. Uh-huh. Doing Trump's saying, which Trump's thinking right well we've got uh we've got pat croce on the show and we're talking about actions um we're on limited time i i want to talk about you you know you after basketball there's there's so many pat croce's <laughs> uh segments here um obviously there was you you did syndicated shows um you were you were financing uh expeditions for francis drake and shipwrecks that's an incredible story maybe we'll get back to that in a minute um but uh something happened after all the you know you, you were doing so many things suddenly you unplug uh so just not too long ago for about it was about six years pat you unplugged okay. 10 years and the story is um and by the way uh i don't know larry platt but i, I was reading a lot about you and did you read zen as fuck uh, i did is and, that funny yeah what a great article i was going to say that We're here looking to make an edit documentary that, i was just all i was reading different articles about you and larry platt i don't know where you're at out there right now this was with the philadelphia citizen and he encapsulated he wrote a great that that was a great article um and again you just said it We'll have to edit it out for radio, but I do it all the time, so don't worry. Uh, but, but it's it, the title. Zen as F. You can fill in the blanks on after the F, but Zen as F. That's Larry Platt, um, and he he called you on that the uh, apostle of optimism, the Philadelphia Philadelphia Buddha. Um, <clears throat> it's just a great article, but he talks about you taking that stint, that ten year stint, and I found that fascinating. And people that know you know this, but a lot of people listening and hearing Pat Croce right now probably probably don't know that you basically unplugged for. 10 years reading, woodworking, uh, Chinese calligraphy. I mean, I don't know how you decide this stuff. I'm looking at your tattoos you're pointing That's it, to. I wrote that. That's, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, and you had stints in Thailand, Jerusalem, Maui, and you own and on and on. Tibet last year. Tibet. So, and I got some others, uh, your son, Mike, who I love, uh, gave me some inside info too. I want to ask you about, but can you just tell the listeners a little bit about what, what was that like? It's almost like, you know, Emerson or someone, you know, going into the woods or Thoreau, Thoreau. and, and uh, you know, looking at it, apotheosis and reaching that and just unplugging. Well, I'm impressed. Tell, tell us a little bit about unplugging and what, what that was like, because I'm fascinated by this. And it wasn't planned. I'm not, nor was I ever a spiritual seeker. I didn't even know such a thing as a spiritual seeker. Never even heard the word enlightenment. Didn't know what mindfulness meant. Nothing. Larry Platt and I were pitching a book to an agent in New York in November of 2014. And the big time agent, Danny Myers uh, set the table. Uh, 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 who else? Uh, trying to think of the authors you would know. Setting the table was Danny Myers' best-selling book. Great in uh, hospitality. Um, Tuesdays with Maury, with uh, Mitch Album. These were 
people he represented this agent big time and so we're pitching it and he goes pat no way if you want you already have a bestseller and which was in like 2000 so it's a long time ago but and i was going in egoically what was your bestseller in 2000 i feel great and you will too that was that one okay hit number four in the new york times bestseller list in case listeners didn't know you're a best-selling author i should have thrown that in there but that's a rags of riches it's a fun reality book it's good. It's a, it's a fun book, but that was obviously before the spiritual sense. But nevertheless, I still believed that if you do your best, God takes care of the rest. I always believed that. Just do your very best. In Zen, they call it uh, Kodawari, Kodawari, details. Everything's about the details. So I was coming down here in Key, Key West, January, I open a book at this travel magazine, this guy named Pico Iyer. I see something, Britt, I don't know why it tickled me, but a quote, most of our life occurs in our head, memory, imagination, speculation, interpretation. So if you want to change your life, you best begin by changing your mind. I went, can you change your mind? I can change my opinion. I can change a body. I've changed bodies. But can you change your mind? So I went and saw a TED Talk by this guy, Pico Iron, on stillness. Now, why that would interest me is like still. Stillness. Pat Croce's yeah, stillness. Like, it's like, well, yeah, I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then it led me to another one on mindfulness. Didn't know what it meant by a guy named Andy Podocombe who has uh, used the app Headspace. You probably people have heard that. And then this other fellow, Matthew Ricard, a a Tibetan monk who is the Dalai Lama's French interpreter who I drug in 2017, Diane to Bhutan, so we could be with him at a monastery. However, that started it. I didn't know what happened, why I questioned it, other than maybe I could, if I changed my mind, I'd have something better to write for this, this book agent. It was all ego. It was all commercial. It had nothing to do with spirituality. Okay. But as I was investigating and inquiring and following these sages, something happened and my mind cracked. And I could witness this Pacroce body mind doing what it was doing. And the thoughts in my head, the voice in my head, which I thought was me. I didn't know that I wasn't my voice in my head and that I didn't have to listen to it. I could just let it go. Then that changed the world for me. And then I investigated, went around the world to find out what the happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, you just don't meet many people who've done that, been able to do that. Now, when you say unplug, what does that mean? Cause he wrote that. Uh, I disappeared. I truly, I would not take any podcast interviews, ESPN, anything. I would not do action news. Nothing. Not, nope. Nope public speeches, no, never did another self-help talk. I just disappeared and I wanted to get a little cabin in the woods. Uh, We had a home in Villanova and I wanted to disappear in the woods and I found property where someone didn't know me a little over an hour away. However, Diane got involved, my wife, and it turned into a chateau. And so it's just, but it's called Meditation Hill. It's a, and it was, okay, serendipity. I'm a big believer in serendipity. I believe that's God tickling us. It's like a wink from destiny. I go to a uh, realtor up in Doylestown. I don't even know the area, but Michael Smirconish, you probably know him uh-huh. from CNN oh, yeah. television. Uh, I asked him because I knew he had a place up there. He turns me on to this realtor builder and I said, I'm looking for something, five, 10 acres, something just in the woods. He opens a map and he's showing me, he goes, and I said, what's that meditation hill? What is that? He goes, I want to show it to you. That was the name of it. So I had to buy it. Really? And all the surrounding area around it. But yes, so that property was named. So I just felt I had to do that. And so that was where I disappeared to. And from there, I built a, we built a workshop and I, I learned woodworking. And so people who think, obviously I took up meditation, but meditation doesn't mean sitting on the cushion and saying om and smelling like patchouli. And no, meditation is not something you do. It's something you are when you're listening right now with intensity and passion and just being aware that's meditation. So I call it meditation in motion because people don't understand that when you invest your being, your vertical being in the horizontal doing at that intersection of infinity and eternity right in the now, that's meditation. Now I have an odd question. So 
you unplugged, you'd already accomplished so much. You'd already led, you'd already, and you did it with culture. You did it with passion. You you know, the stories of you giving front row seats to, (laughs) to uh, lower level staff, so to speak, janitors, uh, janitors and so forth at your games and putting them front court. I mean, you you do this stuff from a place of love and empathy, knowing it builds better places. Would you have done something different? Had you unplugged say 10 years before the Sixers and done in some of the, the spiritual journey you were on, would you have done things differently or you ever think about that? I don't think about it, but people ask that question, Brett, because it's a great question. But you are presuming, you are presuming that I had, was a success. You are presuming that fame and fortune and accolades and standing ovations is entitlement of success. No. Why did I not be satisfied then? Buddha said 2,500 years ago, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I was still suffering. I still had anger. I still had rage inside. I still wanted more. I still was not satisfied. I was still dissatisfied. So that was investigating. And to answer that question, I can't because you can only ask or answer a question truthfully in the present moment. Because right now, everything you're asking arises now. Everything else is a supposition. No, it's not true. The only truth comes right now. So Pat Croce here with us, uh, well-documented, you're a cancer survivor. Did that diagnosis come after you unplugged? No, it was just three years ago, four years ago. And I, I didn't have cancer. My body had cancer. That's a big difference. The I am right there. That which is aware when I took that pause, everyone listening in that sudden gap, that space of grace, you were just aware. That's who we are. That's what we share. The body is just a bundle of perceptions and thoughts and sensations and memories. No, we honor it. We do our best with this instrument for the divine, but that's not who I am. That cancer didn't take me off the zero mark. If 10 was like going to commit suicide, I had no angst whatsoever. I did what I needed to do to heal it. There was surgery and radiation. Even now, most people don't know, I have one rogue blood value that the doctor, the oncologist says is smoldering on bone cancer. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm still like, I'm fine. This is like, it, it doesn't matter whatever. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'll still stay in shape. I'll still eat right. I'll still have my cigar now and then. No, no, but... I will do everything to honor this instrument. Haviz, I love this quote. I got to share this quote with you. He was a 14th century Sufi mystic. He says, I am the hole in the flute. I am the hole in the flute that the Christ breath moves through. Listen to this music. Brett, you and I are holes in the flute. We're not the musician. Let the musician with a capital M play her tune, be that instrument. That's all this body is, is an instrument to celebrate, to communicate, to express, to manifest happiness, peace. That's what it's all about. I, I tell you, uh, if you're listening to Pat Croce right now, you're probably as motivated as I am. Just getting, can you come in every morning and just talk to our team? Is that, I'm sure people ask you that all the time. Uh, just, it's just so fun to hear you talk. It, but it's the so cancer sincere. is what brought me out. It is. So you brought it up. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I oh, wanted to do. make sure that when I was diagnosed, when my body was diagnosed with T-cell lymphoma, I had this itchiness on my chest and I thought I had poison ivy, but I never go out in my property. I may have a chainsaw out there and making my Zen path, I have three miles of paths that I built, but I never go out with my shirt off. I thought it was poison ivy. I eventually called the dermatologist. She gives me something, it doesn't work. Come on in, let's do a biopsy. I'm saying, what? I gotta drive all the way back down into Philadelphia. They do a biopsy. A couple of weeks later, she calls me and says, Pat, you have T-cell lymphoma. I said, Doc, are you telling me I have cancer? She says, yeah. I said, okay, what do I do about it? Okay, let's go. I went to an oncologist. They next surgery, radiation for a month. Okay. And I met, so I took it on as an adventure. I met the coolest people, other patients, the radiology technicians, the radiation technicians, the oncologists who I love. I still see them every three months. However, it's just like to me. So, but I went, I wanted to be able to tickle more people with 
suffering's an option. Once you realize that you don't have to mentally suffer. Now, I'm not talking about sadness, like the loss of Captain Joe Weatherby, right. who I was totally sad and crying over. I'm, that comes from love. I'm talking about suffering rooted in fear. You know, all those from anger all the way down to irritation. You don't need that. So uh, I was through the intention out there. And when I got the body got diagnosed, I went, I get it. You're good. I'm looking up there. You're good. And so I called the American Cancer Society. And from there, I helped them raise two and a half million and did a podcast for them. Mind, body, spirit, cancer. And it's just to this day, I still act. And now I'm going to walk across Spain in um, September from, you know, the Camino de Santiago, 535 miles. And I just contacted Funny yesterday, ACS, and said, let's make it a big thing. Let's raise a million or two. Let's have people support the walk. So we'll see. Now, if you're going to be there in the summer, I have to ask, is Pat Croce going to, not to take anything away from that incredible story, but is Pat Croce going to run with the Bulls in Pamplona? Uh, uh, paid, you know, they won't, I won't be there in July. Okay. But I would have. All right. Well, I can't say that. That's untrue because unless I'm there, I would only be giving you a guesstimate. Okay. <laughs> but I wouldn't mind that. I've got so much I want to talk to you about, but we're coming up on time. So I want to get down to a couple of things. You've taken some of my Mike Croce stories from me. Uh, he did say, he mentioned to me, cause you showed me your tattoos over here and you told the Jimmy Buffett story. And I'd love to get more Buffett stories from you one day for our listeners. But he says, there's a cool story, Brett, your son, Mike, he says, there's a cool story. Dad and I were supposed to, uh, to go on this skiing trip. Uh, and he was younger, he says, but something came up with a, friend of his he had to go see and it was key west and something about buffett and he goes and it, it didn't work out and he goes and here we are years later we're getting ready to go on a trip together in a couple like next week or two and dad and i are getting a tattoo together oh yeah and we are he's coming he's coming monday okay so he's coming down here so i asked him i said uh, sure i got this one here with my daughter she drew the heart I drew a heart on her, so we both had a, a heart. I want a little Sailor Eddie wings on it, but nevertheless, had to be with Kelly a couple years ago. So Michael's saying, I, I got this this uh, sugar skull to celebrate my 70th, which comes up on the Day of the Dead this November 2nd of this year, because I love the tattoo artist down here, and I have a lot of stuff. And Michael goes, well, let's get a tattoo together. I said, what would you like? And he comes back. Well, since we came down here to see Buffett in 90... How about if we do Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard the, you call. There's something I have heard you call. So I said, right on, let's do it. And so I suggested, well, let's let mom, my wife, his mother, write it out. And we'll use that script. So awesome. Monday, we both get this. I don't know when this airs, but we'll get this tattoo. All righty. Well, you have to send us a picture of that to follow <laughs> up on the story. That's going to be really cool. He was excited about that. He shared that. He shared some other things about you hitting a ball and through the bushes at Augusta. I said you'd never even seen oh. the Masters and you were playing playing Augusta National. And he says you switch out a ball on every par three because just in case you get a hole in one. Now, have you gotten the hole in one with the ball that I you switched I haven't golfed again, but he's right. I had these skull and crossbones that we have at the Pirate Museum in St. Augustine, St. Augustine Pirate and Treasure Museum. We have one of the only two or three flags with problems back into the 18th, 19th century. And the skull on it is primitive. So that skull, though, I have trademarked and I had put it on <laughs> golf balls. And Michael's a good golfer. He's a five handicap. I, I can barely play. But I was really into it at some time. And so I contacted the chairman of Comcast, who I knew was a member. I said, you got to bring us on. Yeah. And he's thinking, Pat, I got to go with you if you're on. I said, okay. So we go. And I never even watched the Masters. <laughs> People are going to just go crazy right now hearing this story. Pat calls up, plays the Masters, never watched it. So. It was, um, there was only, other, I think, four foursomes on the whole course that whole day. And each, every place you went, they had stuff waiting for you. It was just, no wonder Michael loves golf. Oh, yeah. But at that level of golf. But he's right. I would switch out my golf ball in anticipation. It's the positive attitude. Should I hit a hole, a hole in one? I want to make sure that's the ball that's framed. I like how, how, how close, close did you get? Never. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're coming up on our time. I'm going to do a quick rapid fire with Pat Croce here Beautiful. on the Florida Keys Weekly Podcast. It doesn't have to be that rapid, but some questions I think is fun for people to hear you say. As inspirational as you are, I'll start out with a very cliche one. Uh, one or two books everyone should, should read, according, according to Pat Croce. Aside from your own books. No, no, I wouldn't even put mine up there. I would say Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. 
It's a Q&A. It's wonderful. You don't read it from start to finish sitting down. You take it. You read it a page or two. You digest it. You, you enjoy the now. That's one. Two would be The Alchemist. It's okay. just a little book by Polo, Polo Coelho, The Alchemist. It's about this Indonesian little boy who's looking for the treasure of the pyramids. But along the journey, he finds out, uncovers the true treasury is in the journey. Okay. I love it. All right, Pat Croce, two, one or two things that you recommend, uh, whether it be your family or friends or our listeners, habits, two, two or three habits everyone should have in their life daily. Spend a minute to 10 minutes in being still in a comfortable spot, just sitting, relaxing, doing nothing other than being aware of whatever's arising and letting it go and being aware and letting it go and being aware. Some people might call that meditation. All I'm calling you is sit in stillness for a minute, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. You'll be amazed at the voice of intuition, the divine voice coming up, providing you with some crazy insights. Not the voice in the head, not that ego thing that always needs and grabs and fears and desires, but the true voice. That's one. Two, eat breakfast. Eat breakfast. Eat, I don't care what you have for breakfast, but eat breakfast. Eat something with a high protein content for breakfast, whether it's a protein bar, an egg, a a shake, uh, but eat something. Fuel your body so that you can enjoy your day. I love it. Pat Croce, uh, you're a, you, you love music. You purchased the green, the legendary green parrot Mm -hmm. down here in Key West, along with some other restaurants. Uh, But I was no fool, Britt. John Vagnoni, who's been there 50 years, I wasn't doing it unless he could stay and be my partner. He's awesome. He's, and I knew that you did that. John is incredible. And John's stories. I mean, I, I, by the way, I've tried to get John, tell John, I've tried to get him to come do this podcast for a few years. He's busy as I'll get out. You tell him if Pat, no, if Pat Croce can do it. Him. Yeah, you tell him. No, tell John I'm that. Him, right, John. If he doesn't do this, <laughs> I'm telling him this is part of his job description. He's got to do this podcast. You heard it here, John. I'm sorry, buddy. I had to, I had to go around you. Uh, so, uh, Green Paris legend. Dairy, best best live music moment of your life. Who's the best band you've ever heard live? Uh, Pat Croce went to, whether it be modern day, back in the day. Who was it? Oh, the Rolling Stones in '72 with Stevie Wonder as the lead act. And wow! Then he came back out as an encore and played the drums for Mick. Wow. Yeah, now you're going to get your buddy Mark Rossi all fired up on that answer. So uh, that's a great answer. Um, you're a man with many means, uh, but yet you constantly talk about world possessions not being you know, the thing that controls you uh, or let control you. But, you. but you do enjoy some things. What, what is your favorite worldly possession? What is something that you're really proud of that you've acquired or someone has gifted you or whatever it might be? I love to write handwritten notes, calligraphy. I have a a gorgeous little collection of pens, fountain pens. So I'd have to say these pens. Okay. And from these pens, this was not given to me, but I've journaled for the past 10 years. And so the journals are something that I want to give to Michael and Kelly and their kids. And I don't care anything else. I don't care any other assets we have. Pass down those journals because they will help you awaken. Wow. Okay. I think the world would like to see those journals sometime. A couple more questions with Pat Croce. We're going to let him get out of here. I lied to him and told him about 45 minutes. I bet if you're listening. It seems like five. Yeah, great. I'm okay with that. And I think our listeners are too. I think this is one everyone's. See, that's meditation in motion. When there is no time. See, time is the mind. The mind needs time, past and future. When there is no time and you're in the now with questions and answers all arising from this sacred space of presence, there's no time. No. We're enjoying eternity, right now, eternity, right now. I'm enjoying it. So, uh, aside from, here's the easy one. Aside from your restaurants, where you, where's your favorite place to go in Key West? Where do you go get a bite at? What's enjoyable to you? Oh, I like the Prime. Yeah. I like the Prime. I like... Uh, Antonio's, uh, there's a lot. Seven Fishes, Blue Heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
You used to be a nice Oh, wait, wait, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. I would have been there now, except for Annie, I'm here, five brothers. Okay, yeah. I can't eat wheat, but I love the double bucci, and I love watching Pepe, one of the lineage of the five brothers. I love watching him work. It's pure meditation and motion, watching him stir and he just, I only come here the month of February. I, I don't even have to order. He knows what I'm going to get. <laughs> now, I don't know. You talk about that. I should have pointed this out earlier for those listening. Pat Croce is going to be 70 very soon. He has the body of a 28-year-old in his prime, Thank literally. Look, so you're looking at me, so I don't know if people realize that unless they know you, but it is, it's ridiculous. Um, and, it, and I'm sure it goes right alongside everything you're talking about. A um, couple more questions. Let's get you out of here. Uh, I'm scratching some off here for time. I'm going to ask a very, and I hate to do this to you, but we have listeners. I'm not going to get very political. I just want to ask you, why do more political figures not speak the way you speak? Why can't they do that? And if you had advice for Democrats, Republicans, whoever it might be, either side of the, of the aisle, what advice would you have for them right now? Be true. Yeah. Be true to you. Don't be attached to the outcome. See, they want to be voted in, so then they have to go with the party lines. Mm -hmm. But they're not true. Those who balk the party lines don't get in. That's the problem. So be true, be true to yourself, and that's so to your listeners, too. you got to love yourself first before you can share the love with your family, friends, and the community, and the world. As Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. If a politician was that, forget about it. Yeah. Our, our last two questions, Pat Croce, come from Annie Brining, sitting right here with us. Oh, wonderful. This is one of her favorite questions. What's the last thing you ordered online, whether it be Amazon or a package? What's the last package you ordered online? I just ordered the book, The Art of Pilgrimage. The Art of Pilgrimage. I just ordered it because of this pilgrimage I'm going on in September, okay. the, the Camino de Santiago across northern Spain. And I started to read it. It's so good. This fellow covers all different pilgrimages. And he says something that's so wonderful. Whatever you're doing, whether it's a vacation or even just a day visit, if you're mindful, investing totally your joy in it, it's a pilgrimage. Yeah. Who turns you, you on to that book? Well, that's a great question. Really great question. I, I chair this sangha, host this sangha every Sunday for the past five years. And it's free to Zoom. It's Zoom. I was doing Zoom before Zoom was Zoom. My only regret in life is I didn't invest in Zoom stock <laughs> before the pandemic. Right. And these people are movie producers, college professors, submarine commanders. Captain Joe was on it. And so Captain Joe got a, several hundred followers from all over the country because he was on sangha every Sunday. One, this Dr. Aggie had sent me a quote by Phil Coustineau, and I liked the quote so much that I, I looked him up, and I saw he, that he authored The Art of Pilgrimage. That was it. That was, okay. I'm all about serendipity. So serendipity to me, I'm going on this thing because of serendipity. That morning before Sangha Sunday, I asked Diane, I said, listen, hon, I don't want to be surprised on my 70th. I want to be part of it, whether it's a family affair, adventure somewhere, whether it's just the two of us or it's a party. My 60th was down here. We were invited 30 of my, 300 of my favorite friends, and they all got wrist bracelets. I had mine tattooed on my, so that all of our properties were open to them. I said, I don't want, I want to know. That was Sunday morning. Sunday evening, about happy hour, we have a glass of wine. I'm looking for a movie, and I see Martin Sheen in The Way. And I didn't know what it was about. I read the thing about, it was about the pilgrimage, his pilgrimage to retrieve his dead son on the first day. You got to go through the Pyrenees. It's fiction. But it's, uh, so I, and I saw Santiago de, uh, uh, the Camino de Santiago, and someone on Sangha that past summer had talked about doing it. I said, we watch it. Within 12 minutes, Martin Sheen's character goes over to France to retrieve the remains of his son. The French police captain said, I've walked the Camino twice, and God willing, on my 70th birthday, I want to do it again. I said, Die! that's it. I'm doing that. That's it. Okay, I got it. That's it, what I'm doing. And that was it. That's awesome. That was it. That's great. 
So, so last Pat Croce question, we're going to let you get back to inspiring other people today because I know you do, everyone that crosses your path. Um, you talk about Zen a lot. We talked about those light romantics and, and, and Thoreau and the woods and, and whether it's a, a glimpse of eternal bliss, apotheosis, or it seems, it seems like with you, you may just kind of stay there like yeah. they did, that apotheosis. Where are you most happy? Is it grandkids, family? Is it in that stillness? Where is Pat Croce's moment or is it just all day, every day? Now. Right now. That's it. Here and now. Okay. Happiness can only be found within. You will never find it in an object, a substance, a state of mind, a relationship, a standing ovation. I found that out the hard way. You will only find it within. So the more that you can be aware of being mindful. Mindfulness is placing your attention on purpose in the present moment on whatever you're doing without judgment. Being aware is being aware that you're mindful. That is pure bliss, pure happiness. And there's a word that goes back, Brit, 3,000 years called Satchitananda. Sat is being, chit is knowing. Satchit, the knowing of your own being without any attributes, without any descriptions, without any qualifications. Just that is bliss, ananda, peace and happiness. Well, that's a great way to end it. Uh, Pat Croce, I, I needed this personally. I think it's, and I know people listening are going to be inspired as well. And you get that all the time. It's not why you do it, but thank you for doing it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Pat Croce, Florida Keys weekly podcast and show. We are honored to have you. And anytime you're in town, you want to come by and let's let us bug you again, or we'll come to you. We want to even send an Uber. We'll come pick you up. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I enjoyed it immensely Brett you're a wonderful interview I really enjoyed it. I just felt the energy and the, the peace right here just the ex- to me you can still have a high vibrational energy existence and the peace in the middle think of it as a wheel the wheel is that peace that stillness and then there's the craziness in the wheel but don't let both feet leave the center Keep one foot in the middle and you can run around and play on the outside. I love it. We're going to end with that because that's so good. Folks, you want more? Keysweekly.com. Pat Croce. Keys Weekly. There you go. Pat Croce, thank you so much. Annie, thanks for having Pat come on with us today. Annie. I know Annie is a huge fan of yours if you don't oh, know that I already. And, and our uh, great producer. Mason is a people. Mason. People out there know Mason. They all know her. I should have mentioned you before, Mason. Uh, Mason does a great job for us in all walks of life and she makes this all happen as our producer. Mason, thank you. Pat Croce. We'll catch everyone Peace, next brother. week. Thank you.